Psalm 23. I want to talk to you for the next several weeks. We're going to go kind of line by line through Psalm 23 over the next five or six weeks. We're going to talk about no fear, no worries. This is the picture that's painted here in Psalm 23 of a God who is so gracious and concerned and caring towards us that we can live a life without fear and without worry. Wouldn't you like that? Yeah. Hmm. Today we're going to talk from the subject, my shepherd. We're going to take that very first line. Uh, so I'm going to show lots of pictures today. If, and if you're listening to this on the podcast or through the website, uh, the notes are going to be in the, the uh, description in the podcast and posted upon the website so you can find those. Uh, so lots of pictures today. So we're going to see, I, I need you to get into a frame of mind and see what David has in mind. Because at last I checked, I mean, shepherding is not a really big thing anymore, is it? <laughs> So we, we need some kind of cultural background to kind of grasp what he's saying. Uh, this Psalm 23 is a Psalm of David. Everybody know David, David, King David, remember? A great, great man of history, um, one of the bigger figures in the Bible. In fact, we have more information on David's life than probably any other person in the scriptures. And, and Lord willing, later on, we're going to do a kind of a line upon line through the story of David. It is absolutely fascinating. Uh, but it's got some twists and turns in it, doesn't it? David was a great guy, and then he was a not-so-great guy at times. Um, it reminds you of anybody. Never mind. <laughs> Psalm 23 is possibly the most beloved of all the Psalms. You've heard it read in weddings and funerals and important occasions. It's posted on walls all over the place. It's probably one of the best-known pieces of Scripture and one of the most quoted, and it paints this great, big, poetic picture of God and His relationship with his people. All right, so you ready for Psalm 23? Come on, stand up. Let's read it together. You can follow it along, and you, you know it, and I'm going to quote it in the uh, King James or New King James Version. So let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated again. This is the word of the Lord to us today. I love that at the end. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall track me down all the days of my life. I like that. Are you living like that? Are you anticipating all kinds of bad stuff? Or are you waiting on surely goodness and mercy to make it to you? Hmm. We, we need some good, goodness and mercy, don't we? Now, this idea of the shepherd and the sheep, it's a, it's a mega theme throughout Scripture. So it's really important that we grasp some of this, and that's why we're going to show lots of pictures to you this morning. Some of them are, are things where I've been able to sit in Israel and sit on hillsides and watch shepherds and sheep and they kind of do their thing in a modern day, but in a real old-fashioned way. Uh, this metaphor is found in the Torah, which is the first five books of, of the Old Testament. It's found in the prophets, it's found in the writings, it's found in the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles. It's, it's a mega theme, again, we hear time and time again. The shepherd, most oftentimes, is God himself in Scripture. In fact, it's, it's prophesied by Jeremiah that the Lord himself will come and shepherd his people. God himself will come. It's also the analogy of shepherd is also given to leaders in church. 
uh, like myself. Nobody would call me a preacher in those particular days of, of, of the New Testament history. They would call you the shepherd. You would be the shepherd of the people. In fact, there's a lot of analogy with, with, with all of us that you and I would be a part of God's flock. We're, we're kind of part of God's herd. All right. And the sheep would be God's people. So this idea of shepherd and sheep. Now, here's some shepherds in the story, and this is just kind of a sample of them. L look at this list. Abel was a shepherd, right? Remember Cain and Abel in the first few chapters of Genesis? Chapter 4, actually. Abel is a shepherd. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, he's known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the shepherds. He's the shepherd God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Rachel, Jacob's wife, she was a shepherd as well. Joseph and his brothers, they were shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. Remember that? taking care of his father-in-law's flock. Remember, he's 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd, and in 40 years as God's shepherd leader through the wilderness, leading God's people to the promised land. And, of course, David started out as a shepherd as well. And then he became the shepherd of God's people as their king. Uh, the prophet Amos was well known as a shepherd. Israel's leaders are described as shepherds. Their kings and their prophets are shepherds of God's people. Again, New Testament church leaders are shepherds, Okay. The prophets speak that a shepherd can be a good shepherd, which means that he leads the people in the way of righteousness and truth, or they can be a bad shepherd, which means they lead the people into false, into error, into untruth. So shepherding seemed to be one of the ways that God trained many of his leaders, right? Moses, for instance. Why, why did God have Moses spend 40 years in the desert as a shepherd and then have him become a leader? You think there was some training going on? And you think about this with Moses, it's not our lesson, but with Moses leading the people through those same areas that he led sheep. You know how Moses knew that there would be a well there at that particular place? Now, oftentimes probably God led him supernaturally, but other times, you know how he knew a well was there? He had been there before. He, he maybe knew that water would come flowing down this stream over here around this corner because he'd been there before. And God used all that training. God's always training us, isn't he? And he uses it all. All right. So shepherding was a very important profession for families in biblical times. Um, they shepherded both sheep and goats. Uh, goats, uh, they got milk from the goats. Anybody ever had goat milk? Anybody ever had goat cheese? Yeah, hey, it's actually not too bad. It's actually pretty good. Um, sheep's milk and sheep's wool. Now, think about it when uh, they would make a tent. You know what they made tents out of? You know, not today. We've got nylon and all kinds of uh, different fabrics and things like that. But the tents that, that like Moses, or, or, excuse me, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had, you know, know what they were made out of? Goat's hair. Made out of goat's hair. Just woven together real tight. It would expand in the daytime and it would air and it would close up when the moisture came in the night and it would seal it. So it would be waterproof. So Paul was the maker of tents. Right? That's what the Apostle Paul was, a guy who was also a preacher, but also he worked a, a job on the side to take care of himself, and he was a tent maker. So most likely, Paul was a guy who knew how to take goat hair, weave it all together, do all that kind of thing. How about that? Hmm. So it was a real important profession, and it met a lot of needs for the family. Also, the goats and the sheep used for fertilizing the field. You know, they didn't have fertilizer like we have today to spread out with chemicals and things of that nature. Uh, you had to kind of do it with the natural stuff Bubba, you know what i'm talking about so they would take the the goats and the sheep and walk among the fields and they would do their thing and fertilize the fields all right shepherding was real important now there are two sides to a good shepherd there's a strong side and then there's a tender side 
It's kind of what needs to be in all of us, really. There's a strong side of us, especially those who are leading and leading families and businesses and things. There needs to be a strong side, the protector side, right? The shepherd was also a rugged kind of person. They could be strong when they needed to be. Shepherds had to live outdoors for days, sometimes weeks at a time. They had to be very resourceful and they had to have a real strength of character and nature inside of them. But there's also a tender side. There's a lot of caring and nurturing and making sure the needs of, of, of the animals are met. So there's this tender side of, of care that has to take place. That speaks of God and of us as his people. There needs to be a real strength in us, doesn't it? We need to be able to hang with some things, able to persevere, able to get through, able to make it. But there also needs to be this tender side to where, you know, Oh, a guy told me a long time ago when I first started preaching, he said, preacher, you need a tough hide and a tender heart. I didn't know how true that had to be, <laughs> you know, especially the tough hide part. <laughs> and I find out people are willing to help you to hide get tough. They're willing to make it tough. <laughs> so there's got to be that two sides, the strong and the tender. Now, let, let me show you some pictures here. These taken kind of back in the early 1900s. I got them from Preserving Bible Times. Uh, you see this? flock is kind of in a corral you see that kind of idea the fence and the corral all right let's go to the next one here all right there's a little shepherd boy all right anybody see any things that he's got on him you see what, what does he have sling. he's got his sling yeah that could be a picture of david right there well it's not but i mean you know what i'm talking about <laughs> he didn't show up for the photo shoot by the way <laughs> you see the sling in the rock see the round stone there mm-hmm. now what's that in his hand the other hand what's that that's his rod the rod and the staff. What would be the rod? The rod is for what? It's predators and fighting off things that would harm the sheep. All right, go to the next one there, Ashley. All right, there's another shepherd boy at night tending his little flock right there. You see the, look at the club he's got right there. It, it, why, does, why would a shepherd have a club? Well, the desert, that wilderness area is not a real friendly place, especially at night. Mm -hmm. I think I heard something about that in the, in the shepherd psalm. Didn't you hear that? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Uh, what was the other one? What was it? Your rod and your staff, right? Here's another shepherd. Among, it's an older gentleman here among his sheep. All right. Now here's another picture. Look, look at this herd right here. You'll notice some things. You'll hear some Bible stories in this particular photograph right here. What do you see in there? What kind of animals do you see? You see these little light brown ones right here? Those are the sheep. What are these dark ones right here? What are they? Goats. All right, go to the next picture right here. All right, and, and Jesus, what did he say about the sheep and the goats? What, what did he say? As the shepherd of the flock of God, which was all of humanity really, what is he going to do with the sheep and the goats? What's he going to do? He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep, the good guys, the goats, not so good. Okay. And, and in the nature of sheep and goats, you can kind of tell. Anybody ever had sheep and goats? Anybody know anybody that has? Sheep are oftentimes very submissive. Goats, bah. Yeah, they're bad, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> goats are not all that submissive. In fact, you come out to look for a goat and he'll be hanging on top of the shed, uh, looking down at you like, what do you want? <laughs> all right, you see the, some Bible pictures here. All right, so now we got some ideas here. This is a, a picture of one of the hillsides in the wilderness there. Uh, that is a, a sheep pasture, believe it or not, okay? Now see those little lines? We've been able to walk on those little lines from, from time to time. They're all throughout this desert land, okay? I don't, this is a picture from my camera. Uh, these little paths right here are sheep paths. They're paths that are through time that have been worn out across 
you know, by the sheep, by the herd, walking around that mountain and eating grass. In fact, let me show you this picture here, this next picture. Well, let me do this first. All right. Here's another geography lesson. Okay. Stick with me on this because we're setting up some ideas. I want you thinking. I want you thinking like this. When you read these words, I want you to see some of these pictures in your mind. Okay. This is the Judean desert in the south. See that little red square I got highlighted right there? That's the Judean desert or the wilderness. That's all free range land. Okay. That means that everybody is it's public land, basically. You can take all of your herds through there, your camels, your, your donkeys, your sheep, your goats. It's just land. It's, it's land for, for, the, for the farmers to take their sheep. It's rugged, it's steep, it's dry, it's rocky. And this Judean wilderness in that area is the setting of Psalm 23. Okay. Remember the scripture calls the Holy Land, the land flowing with milk and, and honey, right? Okay. Why would it say a land flowing with milk and honey? Well, what produces honey? Bees. And bees that, that talks about vegetation and pollination and all that kind of thing. The northern part of Israel, you remember the kingdom was split in the north and south? Well, the northern part was full of vegetation. It was green. The southern part was dry, but it was the place where the goats and the sheep were. And that's where the milk comes from. The bees come from the honey. Okay? And they're still a big producer of honey today. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. All right, everybody okay with the, 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 the lesson? If you look at the, uh, see there's Jerusalem right there. Go, go back. That's Jerusalem right there, right above that square. That's Judea, you've heard that. You've heard of Samaria. You've heard of the Sea of Galilee, Nazareth, Capernaum. Just kind of give you an idea where we're at, all right? Because of Psalm 23, David has something in mind. He, he, he's going through his memory banks and he's having all kinds of pictures and thoughts how God was with him in that desert land. Now let me show you some of this desert land right here. Okay, this is the Judean wilderness. This is the pasture land that David is speaking about, God leading him through. All right, this is an oasis. It's a beautiful oasis. But look at that rugged mountain and all that hillside back there. Okay, go to another picture here. Now, here's, here's some green pastures. Two, two to three months out of the year there in the Middle East, in the Holy Land there, uh, is the rainy season. And you get this green grass. Okay, it pops up real nice. They get four to eight inches annually. We got that last week. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I, I keep telling Sandy when she goes to the grocery store, be careful, the creek may be over the road. You know, These are things we never said to each other uh, <laughs> until we moved here. All right. <laughs> so this is what it would look like for about two to three months out of the year. Okay, now how many months do we have? Okay, so what does it look like the other nine months? All right, go to this next picture. That's your green pastures the other nine months which is kind of a picture, you know. We go through seasons of prosperity, but then we go through a lot of life that's not so fun sometimes, you know what I'm saying? It can be dry, it can be difficult, right? These are green pastures, okay? If I was to go back and show you that hillside, those paths that was on that hillside, remember that? This would be what was in between those paths. What you have in these little brown little pieces, those are little tufts of grass. And he would lead them in those paths, and they called those paths, paths of righteousness, He's leading us in the right way because he knows where the grass is. It doesn't look like much, but you know what? A lot of times following with God, he doesn't give you a great big of abundance. He gives you just what you need for every day. I think Jesus talked about something like daily bread, didn't he? I've been wanting him to send me a bread truck, but he said, I'm going to send you daily bread. Y'all know, know what I'm talking about. All right. Now, here's another picture of this Judean wilderness here. Okay. John the Baptist was familiar with this area. This area right here is the area 
that Jesus was tempted in by the devil. Took out into the wilderness. It would have been the Judean wilderness. It's pretty rugged, guys. I've spent some days out there hiking and camping and doing some things like that. It is pretty rugged. I went in September, and it's about 120 degrees. For real. It's hot. And it gets real cool at night. It's a powerful and beautiful land, but it's wild. All right. Now, here's a shepherd's cave and corral. Okay, do you see the, the cave there? A shepherd who wandered around in the, in the wilderness would maybe have his sheep go into this cave as protection. See the little corral he built around with the little stones and all that kind of thing? Uh, there would be a door right here somewhere letting him in to the fold or letting the sheep come and go. You hear some biblical pictures and all that? Jesus said, I am the, the door. This is what he had in mind when he said that. There would be some kind of opening right here that the shepherd would sleep in at night, especially under threat. Okay, you, you get the picture? I want you to have these images in your head, okay? All right. Go to the next one. I think I got one or two more here. All right, so here's the Judean wilderness again, the aerial view. It's pretty rough land. Hmm. All right, so now the desert. It can be a dangerous place. Or it can be a beautiful place, a blessed place. 70% of the promised land is desert. So God must really like desert because that's what he promised his people and gave them. That's their inheritance, right? Desert is one of those major symbols in the Bible about life. That life here on this earth is oftentimes like that wilderness. It's like that desert right there. It's beautiful, but it's wild. It's, it's, it's beautiful, but it's also dangerous. It can be. It's beautiful, but it can also be a, be, a blessed place. Life is kind of like difficult times sometimes. There's trials, temptations, troubles, difficulties. It's kind of like that desert. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> now, now here's, here's another little lesson, a little Hebrew lesson. The Hebrew word for desert is midbar. Okay, everybody say midbar. Okay. The root word is from the word dabar, okay? And that's the word to speak, okay? So they're related words, and, and the Hebrews put it together. The teachers put it together, and they said, the desert is the place where God speaks to his people. Now, where was the law received? Where did Moses receive the law? Right there in that wilderness, didn't he? In one of those mountainsides, he received the law. And they, they put it together and said, ah, the desert, that's the place where God speaks, wonder why he uses deserts to speak to us so frequently. Could it be because we, we're a little bit more alert in the desert? Could it be because there's a little bit more ruggedness, but there's also a little less distraction? And God oftentimes calls his people out into desert or dry places so that he can speak. So if you're going through a difficult time, perk up your ears. Listen, he may have something to say to you. Let me correct that. He does have something to say to you. God uses deserts and hard times to forge us, to purge us, to strengthen us as his people. And it's just true. It doesn't have to be this way, but it is true. Don't we listen better in tough times? Don't we listen better? I mean, we need to listen better all the time. But it's just something about us as humans. We don't always listen in good times. Actually, prosperity is a real threatening place to faith oftentimes. Listen to this scripture in Deuteronomy 8. Why the desert? Why the desert? You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness or in the desert. Here's the reason. To humble you, 
to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Well, that's a mouthful right there, isn't it? So if, if God uses the deserts to humble us and difficult times and things like that to humble us, what's usually the problem if, if humility is the answer? It's pride, which another idea of pride is self-sufficiency. It's you doing life on your terms, your way, trying to exert your will, your name. And God says, I want you to do my name. I want you to do my will. I want you to serve my purpose. That's what's in your best interest. So God takes us through difficult times until we learn the lesson and we humble ourselves, humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart. Hard times, pressure pushes things out of us that were there all the time. God said, I, I want to reveal what's in your heart so we can deal with it. Because Jesus teaches us that he wants us to be a pure heart. Hmm. We've got a little ways to go, don't we? Whether we keep his commandments or not. It's a test. It's a test. So the desert. What makes the difference for the sheep in the deserts of life? i tell you what makes a difference for a sheep. It's the shepherd. The shepherd makes all the difference. A sheep by him or herself in the desert is absolutely doomed. They have no defenses. They have very little idea. I mean, you know, they're a foot and a half off the ground. They don't know what's up there. They're not hunters. They can't fend for themselves. They literally need leadership in every area of their life. So no wonder God speaks to us and says, I am your shepherd and you are my sheep. That's what Psalms 23 says, that not only he is our shepherd, but that puts me in the idea of his sheep. We need his leadership. What's going to make the difference in your life? Your shepherd. And let me make this real clear. Everybody has a shepherd. The issue is, is it a good shepherd or a bad shepherd? I think about our influences, and especially our young folks. They all have people shepherding them. The media is trying to shepherd us into a certain way. The, you know what I'm talking about. All the stuff that comes in over the, all the airwaves. and all, it's, it's trying to take you to a certain place. The difference will be determined by who is your shepherd and how closely do you walk with the good shepherd. So David says this in Psalm 23.1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Say that with me again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So David has come to realize, and he's, he's come to realize this idea that I don't have any lack in my life. I'm, I'm totally secure. I'm totally at rest. I'm totally at peace. Now think about this. David is a man that's full of confidence. He's full of faith. He's full of trust. He's full of peace. He's full of courage. He's full of thankfulness. He's full of worship. David, how did it get that way? He's a man that seems, he's writing things like this, and you'll see other things that he writes. No fear, no worries. How does a person get there? No fear, no worries. Why? Because there's no lack. I shall not want. You know, it's the fear of lack that produces much of our anxiety and stress. Will, will I have enough? You know, will I have enough money? Will we be able to make ends meet? Will, will I have enough for retirement? Will I have enough for this? Will I have enough to meet this obligation at work? Will I have enough to do this presentation? Will I have enough resources? Will I have enough relationships? Will I have, enough, will I have another person in my life that loves and cares for me? Will I ever have enough? Will I have enough? Will, is, there, is there enough for me? Or, or, or even it gets even deeper. Am I enough? Hmm. 
And the enemy always, always, always magnifies lack. He tries to magnify what we don't have so you'll never see what you do have. David flipped the script on him. David said, oh, I know what I've got. I've got the Lord. And because I have the Lord, I don't have any lack in my life. Oh, I got some holes, but I'm not worried about them. He'll take care of that. And so he's a man who literally lives writing this, no fear and no worries. I believe that's God's will for us. Start meditating on this. Lord, help me with my fear. And even us big strong guys in here, we, we got those fears. We may not talk about it, but that's really why we're on edge sometimes. That's why we're so cranky sometimes. We won't talk about it to anybody, but we've we got these things. We, we want to make sure we can do the job. We don't have any lack. Huh. David said, God takes care of my lack problem. Hmm. Now, so David could look back. He could look back on his life. He had a full life. I mean, David lived this kind of life just like five different lifetimes in one. I mean, he's got a full life. I mean, he's a warrior. He's a, he's a fugitive. He's a, a, a hero. He's a goat. You know, he's, he's a, a married. He's not married. He's got multiple wives. He's got kids. He's got all kind of family strife. He's got some good kids. Solomon was, was one of the good ones, right? It's to some degree. He's got this full, rugged life. I mean, David would look back and he would think about times when he was shepherding and, and God gave him the strength. In fact, he says this when he faces Goliath. God gave me the strength when I was taking care of those sheep to kill a bear and a lion. Now, we just read that statement and say, oh yeah, David killed a bear and a lion. Now, he didn't have no Uzi, you know what I'm saying? How are you going to kill a bear and a lion when, when you're living back when, in, the, in the Bronze Age when he was there? How do you kill a bear and a lion? Well, you got to kind of get up close and personal. I'm not, we're talking about a man. And you read some of David's stuff about the warriors that he had. This guy walks in and, and, and kills a lion in a, in a snowy uh, cave on a snowy day. You know, it says stuff like that. Now, what in the world? How do you kill that lion? You know, he's a rugged man. And he's thinking back on his life, all the times that things have come through. And, and from that barren lion, he got confidence to face Goliath. Now, that, you think about Goliath facing him. I mean, David lives this rugged life. I mean, this is a man who has no fear and he has no worries. I mean, he's a young boy at this time, maybe 15 to 17 years old, they say. And he walks up to Goliath and no fear, no worry, no gun, no nothing. He, he got a slingshot. He's got a bag of rocks and a slingshot against a trained, skilled warrior who's nine foot tall. And he says, I got this. Come on. Come on, God. He took God to battle with him and won. In fact, he does that. He, I mean, he invokes the name of God. He doesn't come in David's name. He doesn't come in the name of Israel. He said, I come in the name of the Lord. I mean, how does a man get that kind of courage? How does a woman get that kind of courage? It's got to be something outside of themselves. So we got Goliath. We got King Saul. I mean, think about King Saul. David was anointed to be king, and it's a bad deal when you're anointed to be king while another king's in office. That's kind of a bad deal for that guy. King Saul hates him. He hates him. King Saul's his daddy-in-law. Okay? And, and he makes David public enemy number one. And he puts David on the run. And for years of his life, he lives in those wilderness mountains we talked about and showed you. He lives there, living in caves, running for his life, threatened on every turn, having to watch every single step, being sold out by people that he had dinner with last night. And they tell the king, and now they come after him again, and he and his men are on the run again. That was years of his life lived like that. 
So don't think about David saying, I don't have any lack, that he had some kind of plush royal life. He didn't. He had a very difficult existence. You got him with King Saul. You got him with the Philistines and the Amalekites. David, at one point in his history, became a fugitive fugitive and a gun for hire for the enemy. He was working for the Philistines. (laughs) The story is absolutely mind-blowing, actually. And he even strayed from time to time. The Bible's very candid about his miscues, his mistakes, and his sins, especially with Bathsheba. And then it's something, a man who could kill Goliath can't defeat the temptation for Bathsheba. You better watch it. It happens then. Then you have Absalom, his son, who rose up against him. Terrible family strife in David's life. I'm talking about this, what I'm painting a picture of a man that had a difficult life. And now he can stand before us and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack anything. Because David would reflect back and say, in all of those situations, as difficult as they were, some of them even my fault, God was there and God provided and God was faithful. Can you do the same thing? Can you look back over your life and see that? Could you see God's hand moving? God's hand protecting. God's hand providing. God's hand healing. God's hand encouraging, even when you didn't even know it. And I'm going to tell you, God's answered more prayers I hadn't prayed than he's answered that I have prayed. (laughs) He just took care of me, even when I was wrong. It's something for a man to wake up in wrong and know that God was with him all the time. That'll scare a man. (laughs) Ask me how I know about that. You here? Oh, you ain't supposed to be here. Never mind. The Lord is my shepherd. Who is the Lord? Well, Pharaoh asked this question in Exodus 5 too. In fact, that's exactly what he said. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let the people go? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Did Pharaoh get an answer to that question? Yeah, Pharaoh found out the hard way, didn't he? Ten devastating plagues that showed that he was not just dealing with any man like Moses, that he was dealing with the Lord of heaven and earth. So who is the Lord? Pharaoh found out the hard way. I recommend you don't find out that way. Let's, let's answer some of this question in real short sentences here. Who is the Lord? Well, he's Yahweh. He's God Almighty. So David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh, God Almighty, is my shepherd. That may be where his confidence came from, huh? He realized who was with him all these years. Now, Genesis 1 and 2 introduces us to the Lord who is our shepherd. Genesis 1 and 2 says he's the Lord and he is the creator of the heavens and the earth and all good things. If it was good, God made it. So the Lord is our creator. He invented light. Now think about that. He invented light. It didn't exist before he said, let there be light. I think I want some light on the subject. And he invented light. That's a pretty good invention, y'all know? And he invented light and all the infrastructure for electricity and all the infrastructure for sound waves. And the reason you can hear my voice today is it's traveling on these light waves that's in this room. And you can hear it because God said, let there be, and there was. It's amazing, isn't it? That's a pretty good invention. And God looked back and he saw that light and he said, that's good. That's pretty good stuff. I would say everybody that's in here would say light's pretty good. You ever tripped on the toy in the dark? You know, light's a pretty good deal, right? (laughs) He put water in the sky for the rains to come down out of the heavens. 
That's pretty good stuff. He carved out the oceans and the dry land, and he said, oh, the dry land's a good thing, and I'm glad he created dry land. I kind of prefer it myself. He invented grass. He invented trees and fruit trees and vegetation that produces all kinds of food and fruit and flowers and beauty and all that kind of stuff. He invented all of that. This is your shepherd. He invented all of that. That's some pretty good stuff. He invented stars. He invented the moon and all of its gravitational pull. He invented the sun and all its photosynthesis rays that would come and nurture the earth. He invented that. He stepped back and said, that's pretty good. He invented fish. Now think about his mind and his imagination and how he would calculate all of this and the wisdom. He invented fish and he invented whales and sea creatures of all kinds. And then he says he made the birds. He invented the birds. That's pretty awesome. I don't know if you ever just sit back and watched a, a flock of birds or something flying and just enjoy even the sparrows. Jesus said to take a look because the birds have some messages for you. Take a look at them. You ought to look at them. Look down at the flowers. They got some messages for you. That's from your shepherd. He invented all of that. And I, I'm well aware I'm using the word invented instead of created just to kind of add it and say, whoa, wait, wait a minute. God invented. It was his idea. <laughs> he invented the cows and the cats and the dogs and the beasts of the field. And even the insects. He steps back and he said, man, you looking at that cow? That's some pretty good stuff. <laughs> then God, with his wild, vivid, grand imagination and wisdom, Invented man and woman and all of their complexities, body, soul, and spirit. It was God's idea. It's the idea of your shepherd. Who is the Lord? He's the one who made all of this. He's the one who made you. Had you in mind when he created Adam and Eve. And God stepped back from all that he had accomplished and all that he had invented and all that he had created. He stepped back and he saw everything working in all of its systems and all of its grandeur and all of its wisdom and all of its intricacies and all of its details. He saw it all working together and all that he had accomplished. He steps back and he says, that is very good. Who is the Lord? He's the inventor of good. He's the inventor of good. Now here's where our faith goes. This is where the New Testament teaches us. The God of Genesis 1 and 2 became flesh and lived among us as Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And listen to what the writer of Acts says about him, about Jesus in Acts 10, 38. It says, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Good's the code word. Because who is good? God. Who does good? God. Who created good? Who stepped back and said it's all very good? Good is God's cold word. And if it's good, it comes from Him. If it's bad, it don't come from Him. Don't, don't settle for that mess. Now, it could be good like medicine sometimes. Jesus went about doing good. Jesus is in the business of restoring good back to God's people and God's creation. Make no mistake about it. That's what He does. He's in a good business, <laughs> in the business of good. Now, here, here's where our faith comes. Jesus declares in John 10, it's, it's the good shepherd passage, okay? Jesus declares, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for sheep. Hmm. I am the good shepherd. Now, now here's the leap. 
What Jesus does in this statement, and, and several others that he makes as well, but in this statement especially, Jesus says, y'all are very aware of Psalm 23. Y'all are very aware of the shepherd's psalm. I want you to understand, I'm standing before you. That psalm is about me. Jesus says to us, I am the good shepherd of Psalm 23. That's the point of our faith. All right, now let's, let's keep going here. We're, we're building this here. So another point of our faith, like Hebrews 13, 5, we could use several other scriptures here. Jesus is quoted as saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because shepherds don't forsake the sheep. Because if they leave the sheep, what happens to the sheep? They're done. Who is the Lord? The Lord is my shepherd. Now, imagine this. This is where our imagination is supposed to go. The Lord, the creator, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, is with you every day, every decision, every transition, Every step, every breath, every moment, you and I are supposed to understand and believe and live in the idea, just like David said, the Lord is with me. He is my companion every single day, every single place I go. If I go out there and it's difficult, if I need green pastures or still waters, He's with me. If I, if I go through the, the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear anything because you are with me. You want to know where that man's confidence came from? It came from a faith and a trust in a God who is ever present with his people. And Jesus says to us, I'll never leave you. I'm going to be good to you. In fact, Paul teaches us in Romans 8, he says, I'll tell you how good God is. God is so good at being good, he can take bad stuff, turn it around, and when he's done with it, it'll be good in your life. Because he's the God of good. He's the good shepherd. So this is the path to confidence. The path to courage. The path to peace. The path to joy. As we started, it's the path to no fear and no worries. To know that the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, God Almighty himself, who came in the flesh as Jesus, is with you. And the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. I have everything that I need because he's with me. Not because I've got it in the bank. Not because I understand and I have all wisdom and giftings and abilities. No, that's not it. It's not in me. It's in him. My confidence is in him. Cursed is the man who trusts his own flesh is what the prophet says. Cursed is the man who trusts himself. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord his God. Jeremiah would teach us that time and time again. Yeah. The pathway to no fear and no worries is to have a strong faith and confidence that God is with you. I mean, he really is. This is not preacher talk. He really is with you, y'all. I mean, with you. If you're his sheep, he's with you. So, so now think about this. Now put this into some practical use for you. Okay. You got a 45 minute drive to get anywhere around here, okay? You know that. Guess who's riding in the car with you? It's just you right there, okay? Make it real. Make it real now. Begin to realize that he's with you. You're not conjuring anything up, he's already with you, okay? Begin to realize he's with you. <laughs> Y'all gonna think I'm crazy. 
I talk to him when he's sitting in the seat of the car beside me. Lord, what, what do you think about that? I, I got this meeting I got to go in. I need you to help. If you need to speak up, let me hear. Just talk to me. I, I got some issues with the kids. I'm, I'm talking to him, not like he's up there. I'm talking like he's right here. It's a big difference. Because Jesus taught us that up here has now come down here. That's what Jesus said. The kingdom is right here now with us at hand. You see what I'm talking about? Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen? You need the good shepherd. Jesus said, I'm him. And what do sheep do with shepherds? What do they do? They follow. So that's shepherd language when Jesus would say, come follow me. That's shepherd language. Isn't it? Jesus is asking all of us to not just trust him after death. That's important. But how about trusting him with Monday and Tuesday and decisions and the money rattling around in your bank account? And those kids and your future. If you learn to trust him, you'll find out you're not going to like any good thing. One writer would shout, no good thing will he withhold to those who walk uprightly. <laughs> That's the good shepherd, amen. He says to you and I, I know what you need. Come follow me. Come follow me. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us. Help us to realize that you're not up there. You're right here. Jesus, you made a way for God through your spirit to be with us all the time. So we've got challenges. We've got difficulties. We've got problems. We need answers. We need dilemmas worked out. We need resources. We need relationships and connections. We need all of that. You know that. In fact, Jesus, you said you, you already know what we need before we even ask, but we should ask in order to build that relationship with you. We should ask so that we'll be able to hear the answer. Help us, Lord. I pray that you would begin to just help us to understand that you are the ever-present God. You're with us. When I'm at work, when I'm at play, when I'm alone, I'm not alone. Lord, you're the shepherd of our souls. Help us realize the treasure we have in you. And you got the answer to every need we have. And let us truthfully, together, ourselves, personally, be able to say, I don't have any lack at all in my life. Help us to get there, Lord. Help us to realize that. And we just rebuke that spirit that always speaks of lack and always speaks of poverty and always speaks of death and always speaks of demise and all that negativity. We speak against that spirit in Jesus' name. You're a liar. The Lord's our shepherd. We don't have any lack. We don't have any poverty. We're the richest people on the planet. You kidding me?
Help us to realize. In the name of the Good Shepherd, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.